And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Coming your way. Very good, very good stuff. I love you guys. Thank you. All right, Jen. I wish I wish Feel I better, had Jade. mentioned. Uh, Thank you. I wish I had mentioned like part of the reason that it's such a good story is because everybody likes Demar Derozan. Yeah, yeah, that's fair. It's true. I wish yeah. I wish I had mentioned <laughs> that. That's just like he's one of the most popular people by every demographic of person in the league. You know. Well, and everybody Players, felt media. bad for being critical in the past. You know, yeah, yeah. yeah. I I should have mentioned that, but oh well. Yeah. Well, maybe I'll surprise you, Fred. There you go. <laughs> Jade's always got something up his sleeve. Hey, listeners! I want to tell you about a new special limited series we have coming up here on the Athletic NBA Show feed. It is called Stargazing. It is hosted by the Athletics' fantastic Lakers reporter, Jovan Buha. Stargazing is a look at the lifestyle gurus and support systems around NBA superstars. Each episode will center on one professional that represents an aspect of NBA culture. It could be fashion, it could be entertainment, nightlife, fitness, social media, as well as hear from the NBA superstars that work with these professionals. Some upcoming guests include Vince the Barber, Ronnie 2K, Rich Fresh, and B-Dot episodes of Stargazing will be released every Sunday starting on December 19th and will run through the NBA All-Star Weekend in February. That's Stargazing with our guy, Jovan Buha, Sundays right here on the Athletic NBA Show feed. There's this thing on. One, two, my check, one, two. Man, this is our city. This is our city, man. We did it, man. It's unbelievable. We've seen the story before. We've seen the story before. Welcome to the Athletic MBA Show. Monday through on the Athletic Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to the Tampering Podcast, part of the Athletic NBA Show Network. This is Sam Amick, NBA National Writer at the Athletic, here with the usual suspects, Anthony Slater out west, Fred Katz out east. Gentlemen, what is the word? What's going on? Nothing. I'm in the middle of a very heavy road schedule, but I'm home very briefly. So you are I'm home. I see myself. that Northern California sun coming in behind you. Sacramento sun. I'm shocked. I can't see the the 50 inches of snow that that are up in the Tahoe Mountains that that have been coming in the last couple of weeks. Mr. Katz, are you look? I think that looks very friendly and homey behind you as well. You on the home? I'm front home. And- I'm just I'm just trying to figure out how many players the Knicks have. One second they're down. Two point guards and two centers. The next second, somebody's coming out of protocols. Next second, someone's going into it. So, Fred, I'm just happy you're here. I'm going to be honest that you're you're mastering the art of like being gone just enough to to kind of tug at my heartstrings and, and make me miss you. And then you come back, and it's you know it's even more meaningful when we get the great Fred Katz on here. You Dude, know, I, ha- stop I have a friend. Us, I have a friend who who always used to tell me that people miss the idea of me more than they actually miss me. <laughs> and when I return within five minutes, they're like, why did I miss him? Well, Ooh. that's not going to be the case today, I guarantee you, if only because uh, among the many things we're going to get into on the back end of today's show, Fred's got some very strong feelings and opinions and passion about DeMar DeRozan and the season he is having. I know, you know, we've been talking about it. A lot this season. The basketball buds got into it on yesterday's show, but but Fred's going to bring a new twist there. But before we we talk Bulls, gentlemen, uh, the main topic, the top topic, if you will, we got a bunch of of star returns coming up. Uh, one in Slater's backyard with Clay Thompson. Finally, January right 9th there. looking like right behind me. Yep, is he behind you? I lost your backyard. screen. Oh yes, in your backyard. Exactly. You said backyard. So, you know, I see Clay's getting buckets and right behind you. Clay, January 9th, tentatively, I think, is what uh, your reporting has, has kind of dictated that his return after two years would would probably take place. Does that sound about right? Yeah, yeah. You know, it's going to be a home game, which they've been very clear about um, really since the beginning. Uh, and he kind of confirmed the other day saying that, like, the home fans deserve to see it. Um, and, you know, there was some thought of maybe, you know, tonight, basically, when I'm talking. But um, 
they especially after he did that scrimmage, which we can get Miami into in the game. Yep. Yeah. In in Denver the other day when it was kind of an impromptu scrimmage that felt like his last step. So I think he could have played tonight. Really, I mean physically he could have played, you know, in December at times, but it all signs are pointing to January 9th. Now they're getting through this week. They're about to go on a two game road trip. They're gonna take Friday off and then they're gonna have a Saturday practice and the Sunday game, which everything is leaning towards. You probably won't hear official word until Friday, Saturday would be my guess, like from the team, you know, some type of announcement. Um but yeah, I mean, go even look at ticket prices on StubHub right now. You know, it's like very different <laughs> for tonight's game. The very different market. Yeah. yeah, it's like whoa, people are fired up for this Cavaliers game. I on thought a about that myself. So real quick before we dive in even deeper on Clay, you know, I got to give the context that I do find so interesting. That's more league wide this season, which in a lot of ways has been frustrating to cover because yet again, COVID obviously is impacting things. And, and you feel like every other week we need to have a medical expert on the show to talk about the latest. That's not necessarily quote unquote fun, but this season does have a unique, potentially fun quality in that some of these star players who might come back, some of them like clay and now Kyrie Irving. Now that one's obviously a, a whole lot more divisive as a, as a topic, but basketball wise Kyrie coming back to the nets, um, you know, pretty soon as well is, is a major story, I think on Wednesday against the Pacers, but, and this is down the line, as you guys know, I mean, we got Jamal Murray in Denver putting uh, IG posts up of himself doing windmill dunks and having Nuggets fans wondering if, if maybe the reporting that had been out there about like mid February, late February might be possible for him. You got Kawhi Leonard still completely unclear with the Clippers point being, we might have like this, back end, you know, star return kind of subplot that is going to add a pretty unique twist. It juices up like a normally dry part of the NBA season, right? This like right. middle of this. What's funny to me, you know, you mentioned the Kyrie one compared to the clay one. We can get to Murray because I'd love to get your thoughts on that. Having been around the nuggets, um, Kyrie can't play at home, right? It's this weird, like debut him in Indianapolis and then like say bye until we see him in the next city. <laughs> Whereas with clay, it's like, we refuse to debut him on the road because like the home fans have to see him first where like they have this very road heavy schedule right now and they're just looking for this like pepper date to put him in like he could probably play in you know dallas on wednesday but they're not gonna you know that's actually dirk the whiskey retirement night in dallas which i'll be at but um it's just that dichotomy is it is wild i mean that schedule and i have it in front of me they go at indy on wednesday and so let's say as expected you're talking brooklyn right now right he's talking brooklyn 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 Brooklyn. That, you know, Shams had reported that it would be Wednesday. Then they go at Chicago, but not until, let's see, we're recording on the third. So Chicago, Wednesday is the fifth and a week later um, it would be the next road game that he could play in. Then they get interesting because they're on the road the 17th to the tw- uh, 23rd at Cleveland, Washington, San Antonio and Minnesota in that stretch. All in all, I guess to cut to the chase, 18 of 25 uh, on the road for the Nets coming up here. So he's going to be available a lot. The two games he can't play in, of course, at the Warriors on January 29th at Toronto on March I believe 1st. he can, uh, if I don't have this wrong, I believe he can play in the Warriors game, even though home Warriors players can't play, like Andrew Wiggins oh, couldn't have. Yeah, okay. no, Which is crazy. You're correct. I mean, that's, you know. It's weird. <laughs> like it's really You're weird correct. that Kyrie can come in unvaccinated and play where Andrew Wiggins couldn't have. There was even I remember talking preseason like, well, they were playing the Clippers. The Warriors were in their home opener. It's like, well, he can't play for the Warriors, but technically, if they traded him to the Clippers, he could play in that game. I don't know. Right. Odd. Right. Right. It's, it's very weird. Fun. Well, it's the same thing in New York. It's very strange. It's the weirdest part of the. Not play in Knicks games, correct, Fred? Correct, because it doesn't have to do with the team. It's it's the city. So right. he cannot pay, play Knicks games. It's the same city that employs him. Right. Right. Where he is employed. And they need him. I mean, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to honestly just kind of skip over the vaccination discussion. And, and I, we've talked plenty in the past. You guys know how I feel about it, but they need him from a, you know, Kevin Durant. Okay, great. You know, he was out in front or at least on the short list of a lot of people's MVP discussions and individually, that's great, but he was putting up massive minutes uh, you know, carrying the kind of load that it's one thing if you're trying to secure a certain playoff spot late in the season, um, that load is pretty heavy to not having, you know, even been to the new year yet. And then they had guys dropping like flies. And and so basketball wise, I get it, um, you know, but uh, it, it's been a long time since we've seen him too. Can we also on that note, can we, can we just talk real quick about how 
the the main reason the Nets said for why they changed their mind, I mean, they said initially they didn't want a part-time player, right? They weren't going to accept somebody who operated that way. Uh, and they said they had to bring him back because they had so many guys in protocols, so many guys hurt, and they just needed the extra people. They needed the extra players. I mean, that's it's totally not the case anymore. And Almost he, all of those guys are out of protocols. Joe Harris is still hurt. Uh, that's that's basically it. I mean, they don't need Kyrie from a putting together a roster standpoint anymore. If they're bringing back Kyrie, it's because they want Kyrie Irving playing in half of their games. And well, and it. if that doesn't, to that point, Fred, if that doesn't tell you all you need to know about whether you call it player empowerment or just the player influence on today's league, Joe Sy is is it's been well chronicled is a an extremely um kind of vocal advocate of the vaccination of you know when you get him off the court uh, somebody who believes greatly in you know kind of everybody needing to take it for the greater good and said things right around the time that Kyrie made his choice that that weren't really all that coded they made it clear he was upset this was his team and and he you know was wishing that Kyrie had gotten the vaccine the fact that he clearly changed his tune and, and greenlighted this is kind of return tells you quite a bit. Yeah. I don't, I don't know. I mean, I, I, I don't know what the nets are going to say. Some, someone will, will ask somebody about them. Basically this not operating, them not operating in the initial way that they were talking. And then them bringing Kyrie back in a time when they had everybody out of protocols anyway. And I, I don't know how they're going to answer that question, but I am, somebody should ask them that question. I'm sure somebody will. And I'm very curious to see how they're going to answer it. It's it's sports like they want to win. Uh, they feel like, you know. Uh, oh, well, that's the reason. Yeah. I'm just curious what the answer is. Gonna well, be. you know, it'll that's be, not what they said. Initially. It'll be some like, you know, wraparound quote that, you know, whatever. It's I mean, I, to me, I've read some of uh, KD's quotes lately and even Harden. It's just like they're kind of just like he's he's great. We need him. I mean, like to me, even if like or the organization's line is is something a bit more coded to me, it's coming from the players, which, as Sam was saying, like are directing this decision. Right. This is Kevin Durant. Like, I kind of want my all star point guard back who I came to this franchise. Like, I'm not going to say solely he's the reason that, that KD chose the Nets. But like, right. We all know that was like the tandem uh, that went there. Like, they just want to win. Yeah, like you um, wouldn't have me without this guy type of thing. Yeah. yeah. Um, they want to win but my my question about it is like they still need him in home games like do, do they need him in home games to get like uh, the third seed no but like they need him in a Milwaukee Bucks series to they like, don't need him that I mean listen and I'm going to continue teasing Fred Fred you better bring it on the DeRozan thing man I'm going to be teasing it all the way through because <laughs> <laughs> this is going to be such a letdown Fred Chicago Bulls are atop the Eastern Conference by a game as we talk today and so but the nets are right there. And so I would, I would probably push back Slater on, I mean, it kind of depends how we define needing, you know what I mean? Like they're, they're fine when it comes to getting first home court in the first round. And the bigger question to me that is way, way, way premature is that idea that if, you know, like some of the guys have said on our, our podcast network, that Kyrie is not expected to ever get the vaccine, then my goodness, what do the playoffs look like? You know, especially by the way, you know, if, well, actually this cuts into my, the whole Warriors thing, the guys yesterday mentioned it and, and kind of, I think acted as if he couldn't play against the Warriors. So I guess in the playoffs he could, but bottom line, the well, idea Bucks, of having, let's go Bucks. How about Bucks series, you know, East finals, let's say they get through and they have, we'll even give Bucks home court, which would actually, does that help the Nets? Um, we'll get, he plays game one, game two. Okay. It's one, one going back to Brooklyn. Okay. You don't have Kyrie three, four, you don't have him six. Like you could still, win that series you it's just imagine if there's a game six at home where you're down three two and he's like all right guys hopefully you get it back to seven in milwaukee right yeah i mean look look at what happened last year they play they play the bucks in the second round and it and it goes to seven if they have they have home court in that situation like Kyrie's missing game seven even if it's just even if it's just a random closeout game, like you're in the first round, like they and they just aren't able to close it out in a game five. How about you know? if they get it's the like, Knicks? I mean, we for, I'm not sure they're going to get the Knicks. I think Fred's probably dubious of that. But what if they got the Knicks that, in the first round? Fred's I going mean, one, two, three, Cancun. What are you I hadn't about? even thought about. I mean, I, I hadn't even thought about that. I still think the Nets would beat the Knicks pretty handily would, without Kyrie. Right. But but I hadn't even thought. I mean. The Knicks, I guess, could conceivably get the eighth seed in the play-in tournament. Who the heck knows what's going to happen in a play-in tournament? 
So yeah, yeah. I guess there's also I guess that would be Toronto. Crazy. You can't even get into the country. I don't think. Uh, like I don't think they would even let him. So Toronto's a possible first round series. But like Fred said, they're probably winning that series. To me, the better bigger question is like the the whole rhythmic con- continuity question of like just it's weird to just have this guy in and out, in and out. Like basically, like he every time you're ending a road trip, he's spraining his ankle and missing the next X amount of games, and then you'll see him on the road. I don't know. It's weird. Right, right, right. All right, let's pivot to your guy, Mr. Slater, because yeah. you wrote some fascinating stuff on Clay. Um, I'll, I'll throw it to you like this. I And again, like you also kind of teased, we'll get into Jamal Murray in a second. But when Denver was in San Francisco to play the Warriors, um, you know, they obviously barely got that game off. Uh, at the time, listen, I was hearing plenty of stuff about the Nuggets essentially already knowing that they had a, a, a bit of a problem on the COVID front. Um, but they were not testing um, like we all thought they were going to. And, and they were not the only team where this was happening post December 26th. It was kind of like the unofficial way from the league standpoint of allowing them to get home. But bottom line, they sneaked that win in and then they head off to Denver. Now, you know, the least they could have done is, is to tell the Warriors hold off until we get all our test results when we get home. Because when the Nuggets get home, they get enough positives combined with their injuries that they didn't have enough of a roster and, and they end up scrapping the game. The Warriors had already jumped on their plane and, and headed out to to Denver. I actually had a, for a completely separate story, I had an interview with, with Steph over the phone and talked to him, you know, in the middle of that time. And you could kind of tell that, you know, as a group, they weren't thrilled with the way Annoyed. it had all gone down. Yeah. And you wrote that, that they were upset. So the there, there was a silver lining though, right? So tell us what, of benefit, you know, did come from that Denver trip as it uh, relates to Clay Thompson. Yeah, they spent three days in Denver. I spent three days in Denver with zero games, uh, you know, and it was it was bad weather. You're near New Year's. None of a lot of the Warriors families are not coming on the trip, even though they normally would because of the COVID situation. They got a bunch of coaches in protocol. They've actually just got their The coaches are supposed to come out. A bunch of their players have come out. But generally, my point is it's it's somewhat of like a lonely, cold weather trip where I think their preference would have been like, Hey, look, if we're not going to play the game and we're going to have to go to Denver later in the season, which now they're going to have to don't make us go to Denver right now and sit there and wait and wait and wait. And even day of when it was coming out, like, yeah, a lot of these positive tests, the nuggets had four questionable players for injuries, not protocol. And if they just said one of these guys could play, the game could have been played, but they waited until like one, 2 PM to basically rule those guys out. So there was like even a, a, a waiting game in the day of where they're just sitting in their hotel. Like, are we playing a game tonight or not? You guys know how that goes. Like you want to know the rest of your day's plan. Um, they didn't find out until about two, three and, and they were told game is canceled. I know you've been in Denver for over 24 hours. You're not playing a game tonight. Um, they decided then to practice uh, in the empty arena where they would have played the game. And it was like a six thirty PM practice, kind of a rare NBA practice. Um, and because Steph Curry, Andrew Wiggins, Andre Iguodala, you know, all the high minute veterans, guys who would never on practice days do anything strenuous, right? We all know how NBA seasons go. Like you play your games and then you basically, you know, recuperate until the next game. But because they had mentally prepped to play a game, they were kind of ready to to get it in a little bit. And they have this Clay Thompson situation where he has been able to scrimmage now for over a month, really is getting very close as, as he is even saying. Um, but he has not been able to play with Steph Curry. He has not been on the court with Steph Curry in it. In a, game setting in now over two years he has never played with Andrew Wiggins even though Andrew Wiggins has been on the roster for now two years and they because of this situation they were actually able to do a full you know 12 minute hard scrimmage with with Clay Thompson around the first unit and uh, you know there was a lot of uh, impressions that came out of that were positive. We can get into Iguodala had a good quote on it. Steph did too. Uh, Steph said Clay shot 17 times in 12 minutes, but uh, Clay Thompson's general quote, I think what matters most is he felt it was a milestone. Like that was the moment where like he got through that scrimmage. He played pretty well. He was around the, the lineup he's going to be around. And he's like, that kind of felt like, okay, I'm ready. And uh, I forget later. Did you get to see any of this or no? Uh, only glimpses of it. Um, I, you know, knew there's been some online footage from like the Warriors in-house team. He then, you know, had a lighter practice the next day in Denver where it opened up. I saw him kind of running some more, uh, you know, shell drill type stuff and, and some shooting routine. But then we talked to him about it. he talked in Denver for about 10 minutes or so. 
Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. So I remember when I was covering John Wall's rehab from the Achilles tear and everybody constantly asked me, so so what, what do you think Wall looks like when he comes back? My answer every single time was like, I have no idea. How am I possibly supposed to know that? I have no clue. Um, I'm going to ask you, though. What is there any sort of expectation? Now, I'll ask it a little differently because nobody really knows what he's going to look like, right? But is there is there any sort of expectation, reasonable expectation we should have for him? I know organizations always pump up those guys, you know, in relation to Wall. The Wizards were always just like, Wall is, he looks great. He looks amazing. He's going to be awesome. But what is the reasonable expectation for, for Clay once he returns? Yeah, you know, I think they've somewhat tried to go the other way and they still are like, hey, it's going to be 18 minutes to start. He's going to go through his struggles. He hasn't played in two years. You know, you know, non-athletes don't understand how much that, you know, can, can affect the body and how long that takes to get in a rhythm. But you talk to people who who've, who've seen it, who are usually pretty genuine with their thoughts on and off the record. You know, I'm talking about Iguodala, Draymond Green, you know, Steve Kerr, um, and they have seen really good gradual growth over the last month. He's, he's become a more physical. The endurance is getting better. The, they talked early in the scrimmages, like he might hit a three or two to start it, but he gets tired. He either needs to come out or like the shots get short. He even talked about in Denver in the high altitude in the scrimmage, he missed his first few shots because he was like short of breath, but then, you know, got into a rhythm. I think in general though, it, like they're not able to hide very well, how good they feel about what he looks like right now. He they he's gonna shoot it. I mean, the shot is is still there. He even said like he's never really been concerned about what the shot's gonna be, and he's scoring it. And apparently, he's getting better defensively. They have the number one defense in the league. Um, yet they're starting a backcourt that is Steph Curry and Jordan Poole, which is pretty undersized, like offense first backcourt. I mean, you're gonna plug Clay Thompson in for Poole, and the belief is that's gonna be a defensive upgrade. I've even asked like, is it is this version of Clay Thompson coming off an ACL, coming off Achilles, gonna be a defensive upgrade? And they're like. Yeah, I mean, because he takes defense very serious and he's big and physical. And like, I, I do want to see the lateral quickness early on, but they, like the physicality apparently is still there. You talk to people who played with him, like you, you're still feeling big guard Clay Thompson out there on the court. And look, I, he says it's going to take a few weeks to be his all-star form again. That's where I'm like, I don't know. Like, who knows if we'll ever see all-star form again, but this guy is about to I, I mean, I, I pretty strongly believe be a, an obvious rotation upgrade for a team that already has the best record in the league. And that's what matters most. You know, what's really interesting about that. You, you mentioned the defense and like, remember at the very beginning of the year, we did our Western conference preview and we had to pick our most overrated team in the Western conference. And I so intelligently picked to the golden state warriors, uh, pick that, that just is aged. It's aged wonderfully. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's okay because why? Because you said nice things about DeMar DeRozan. That's, that's true. I was the only okay. person on the internet who who was okay with the DeRozan signing in Chicago. Uh, but but something that we talked about that day was I was just, the thing that I wondered the most about was like, Clay's jumper will probably be okay, but he was such a great defender before the injury and Golden State relied on him so much. And they were very good defensively last year. Uh, and I was just, I was wondering if they were going to have to rely on him too much coming out of the injury defensively, the fact that Andrew Wiggins is such a good defender is so important for them. Like clay doesn't need to come in and just, all right, you go guard the best player right off the bat. Like the warriors have that they've got Draymond in the middle of an incredible, like he's probably defensive player of the year right now. Uh, and, and Wiggins has been, I mean, is Slater. I mean, you can, I'm sure you can yeah. back me up on this. He's been the best defender. He's been the best he's ever been defensively. Yeah, for sure. They're actually trying to internally pump him up for the all-star game, which I'm not ready to go there yet, but they are. That's um, when you know it's time for Clay to come back. Yeah. You also have, <laughs> yeah, you also have Gary Payton, the second who's been like a defensive revelation and just generally 
like what they're good at defensively isn't really as much about individual defense. It's about like what they do as a team, what they do is from a scheme perspective, the way Draymond Green can help. And and I mean, they, they've got guys like Otto Porter and Nemanja Bielitsa out there. Who like, And I'm talking about a stiff later in his career, Otto Porter that are good defensive components because of the, they know where to be and the Warriors know which personnel to give the, you know, all, all the different stuff that goes into defense. That is about the mind, not your Slater lateral. Called Otto Porter a stiff. Is that what you heard? Fred? No, That's I said I heard. he's stiffer. <laughs> they, go watch his Washington wizards highlights. I'm being a smart ass. I know. Uh, uh, let me I, throw this at you brother real, real quick change of pace, but also on the clay front. Um, and this is one of those things that only you can analyze. Can you please kind of educate the listeners about the one and only Rick Celebrini, because I find him to be an interesting character in this whole situation, unless it's changed, you know, the title I see in front of me is director of sports medicine. Um, The mainstream, or at least, you know, kind of non warriors basketball audience might remember Rick from being in the news for the wrong type of reasons back in the 2019 finals, when Kevin Durant came back from, you know, that injury earlier in the playoffs, then got hurt again, obviously toward the Achilles. Um, You know, that's not when you want to be in the news, but right now, I think it it seems, tell me if I'm wrong, that it's a testament to Rick and the trust that he still kind of inspires within their group because you hear Clay consistently talk about how, you know, I feel like essentially I'm ready to go, but I got to get the green light from Rick. And he doesn't seem to be in his feelings all that much about it. Now, I'm sure he is, but it seems like, you know, he's putting a lot of trust in Rick. And so what is that dynamic and, and what do you think specifically you know, that somebody like Rick is waiting to see here before giving the final go ahead. Yeah, I mean, so the context here, it was Chelsea Lane had this job for the Warriors for a while. When Travis Schlank went to Atlanta, she went to Atlanta. Um, they went and hired Rick Celebrini for a large part because Rick Celebrini was Steve Nash's guy in Phoenix. There was a feeling from Steve Kerr, who was the GM in Phoenix at the time and knows Rick well, that like Rick Celebrini helped extend Steve Nash's career into his late 30s. I mean, he's, you know, he is what you know, the title that, that, that Sam mentioned. I mean, he deals with he's kind of the head of all the medical decisions within the Warriors. Um yeah, I mean, his first season here was when they had that disastrous playoffs, which you know concluded obviously Clay tore his Achilles on a freak accident. Um, but then when they green lit Durant to come back on the court after he had the calf thing, and obviously he has the Achilles tear. Um, but then, well, I think what matters now in, in the situation we're talking about with Clay is Clay did his ACL rehab more away from the team than, than the Achilles rehab. And this was his first long rehab. And I do think there was, there was a little bit of, of frustration within the Warriors about how little he was around and maybe some, some bumping heads, which is natural for, for the first real long rehab of a person's career. And we're talking about Clay Thompson, who not only loves basketball, but it's just like he was an 82 game, 38 minute per night, just like workhorse. And suddenly he had it ripped away from him. And I did, he just struggled during that year with the whole tedious nature of the rehab process and, and Rick Celebrini's, um, I guess, involvement within that and, and making sure Clay was always on his, you know, P's and Q's, whatever. And, and then at the end of the ACL rehab process, which, like I said, was done more away from the team, Clay is playing, I mean, we'll, we'll, I guess call it unsupervised pickup basketball in Los Angeles and tears his Achilles. And this Achilles rehab, which is just as tedious, maybe more than, than the ACL, uh, Clay has been much more around the Warriors and, and and I guess maybe you want to say listening to celebrating more, but certainly like going through the, the tedious nature much more diligently and willingly. Um, and that includes this last month where, like I said, physically he was ready to play unrestricted, you know, five on five scrimmage basketball, like early December, I think it was. And we're sitting here in January and they still haven't given him the green light. And while there has, I think been some times where Clay's like, come on, I'm ready. Remember the, the moment where he's sitting on the bench towel over his head. Marcus wrote the great story on it. Um, Cause what he was dealing with mentally, like at that point, he physically could have gone out there and played that night. They just have been so patient in building up his endurance through Celebrini. And, you know, he gave the quote the other day, like he's waiting for Rick to give him the green light. And he is, accepting of that and I think a lot more maybe accepting of that than when he was coming back from the ACL this episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra the official beer sponsor of the NBA want to get closer to the game than ever before Michelob Ultra courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear 
courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. No, that's great context. I mean, that, that kind of the dots you connected between the final stages of the first rehab versus this one does seem to inform it quite a bit. Um, you kind of alluded to it a minute ago, man, that the, the fact that the Warriors are kind of, you know, signaling when he's going to come back, essentially telling the fans and the media that get ready for January 9th, you know, you're going to see that impact on the secondary market. Even honestly, guys like myself or reporters in my shoes where you're, you you do not have to be there every night you start going, okay, I guess I'm going to make that drive and, and get a credential and be there to, to see Clay's return. Um, That'll be super interesting. You know what's crazy? Just from a local perspective, that is now going up against Niners, Rams. Niners have to win to get into the playoffs on Sunday. It's just going to be Bay Area. Same time? Yeah. Uh, Well, the Niners game is not the night game. No, so I guess it's 125 locals. The Niners game, 530, I think it's the Warriors game. Great. Gotcha. Spaced out perfectly. Yeah. Fans will probably love it. But if you have to choose one of the two, I know there's media members who are like, I'm going to be in LA for like, I think Kyle Cobb said, Marcus. like, I'm going to be in LA. Right yeah. <laughs> Not Marcus going to be in chase. I think. Yeah. Fair enough. All right. You would ask uh, before we get to Fred and, and all things DeRozan, the, my quick two cents on the Jamal Murray front, Michael Malone had told me in no uncertain terms that, you know, they're not putting, and he said this before, they're not putting pressure on Jamal to come back, you know, by a certain time. And then I even tried to push him and said, you know, are you at least sure that he's going to come back this season? And he said, no, not for sure. Now I think two things can be true. I'm, you know, Michael can be saying his truth and I believe him from an integrity standpoint, but I also think that when all is said and done, the way he framed it is going to be, you know, kind of proved to be incredibly conservative for obvious reasons. They, they want Jamal to know that to the outside world, now, obviously, you know, he, he got hurt back in February to the outside world. We are not sitting here kind of framing you as some, you know, kind of nugget savior where you got to get back in time for the playoffs. And then we're going to see what kind of damage we can do. I do think for sure there is a chance that we see Jamal, you know, call it late February, mid February. I don't know. He just put up a windmill dunk on IG. February. I think that was today. That's well, I mean, that was in, ironically month. Let me be more responsible here. And again, out of respect for Michael, he to get aggregated. You know, no, Sam, no, Sam, 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 you, you said February 1st, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. No, but like Michael said, there was a report indicating February and, and, and he said that he and Jamal sat around laughing at the report because it had a source with knowledge. And I honestly don't even remember the platform, but source with knowledge indicating um, that they, they knew Jamal's timeline and that's what they were looking at and that they laughed at that report. I'm just saying that people who are around the team every day would hundred percent not be surprised to see him in plenty of time for the playoffs. And then when he goes ahead and puts, you know, once you put that windmill dunk on IG, I feel like all bets are off from a speculation standpoint. You know, that's the kind of stuff you start doing that you're kind of feeding the hype machine a little bit. And they have stayed afloat, won a couple games recently to crawl above 500. Obviously Jokic has been phenomenal and is in the MVP discussion. Um, and like the Clippers, who I mentioned, you're, they're in the same kind of neighborhood standings wise and, and waiting on Kawhi Leonard. Um, it just potentially could get really, really interesting at the, the final stretch of the regular season. Yeah. And the West is not that good once you get out of the top two. No, I mean, three, you, you, three, the top three. I'm sorry. Utah as well. Once you get out of the top three, I mean, they could realistically, if, if Murray comes back with enough time, they could, they could realistically claim the four seed uh you know Memphis Memphis would have to drop a little bit they'd have to climb a little bit more he would be so huge for them they their bench units just get destroyed and being able to put Morris back on the bench and just be able to run things very very competently he's an excellent backup point guard being able to put him back there I think would just change all the world for that team on top of the fact that you're getting Jamal Murray, who is excellent and fun and incredible with Jokic. Uh, I think they're, they're dangerous. Gordon's been good for them. If, if Murray comes back and is like 85% of Jamal Murray, that's a ridiculously dangerous team, even without Michael Porter jr. So I, I actually am a little bit more like skeptical of Denver this season because obviously Porter, I mean, like, do we think we're going to see Michael Porter jr. Again this season? I, no, I don't no. either. Um, and 
when Denver made their bubble run uh, to the West Finals and really gave the Lakers a pretty good West Finals, um, Jamal Murray was like incredible. He was like top 10 level type NBA player. Now that's only been in the bubble. I mean, otherwise he's been, uh, you know, a level down of a star, fringe star, whatever you want to call him. But in the bubble, when they have shown to be their most threatening as a title contender, uh, Jamal Murray was like 38 minutes at night, like, you know, scoring 50 balls against Utah. Um, he was killing, uh, you know, the Lakers, even in some of those games. And while, Sure, maybe. I mean, like that does sound like there's a lot of Jamal Murray optimism, and maybe he gets a month ramp up to the playoffs, and and maybe he's some form of himself. To me, for them to be a legitimate threat in the West, he has to be awesome. And I mean, like you know, 35 minutes every night, high usage. Yeah, he's he's making the Nuggets survive when Jokic isn't on the court. But even when Jokic is on the court, they're just running pick and roll after pick and roll. He's got to play good defensively. Like I just maybe that's next season. A lot of people say with these injuries, these these year long injuries, that it's it's usually the second season. Um, I just I I can't imagine like the durable explosive top 10 type Jamal Murray playoffs coming a month after he returns from an ACL. So I'm admittedly being a little, it's not devil's advocate, but, but for the sake of, I guess, debate, you know, there's nuance here, right? But like, it is funny to see you, you know, you're breaking down clay situations later and you're talking a two year absence and you're talking immediate impact and all-star caliber play within three, four weeks. That's what he said. I do not think that. Right. So I just wonder where where's the difference? Obviously, their styles of play are very, very so, different. So I would say Clay Thompson needs to be like a sharpshooter and like a defensive component. He needs to be a role player, a good, you know, good role player for the Warriors. Right. Because we're just seeing what the Warriors are without Clay Thompson. They need him to come back and be a championship piece. I think Denver would to become a title contender would need Jamal Murray to come back and be like a one B to to Jokic. I don't think Clay Thompson is going to come back. Like if, if you just switch teams right now and said Jamal Murray was coming back to the Warriors and Clay Thompson was coming back to the Nuggets, I'd have the same thoughts. Murray's probably capable of coming in, really helping the Warriors rotationally. Clay Thompson, it, I would not think would go and be like a 1B to Jokic's 1A and suddenly they're, they're a title contender. I just think the situations are different for like there's just way more of a burden on what Murray has to do to raise Denver's ceiling than what the Warriors need Clay Thompson to just like help them get better from a team that's already, you know, tops in the league right now. Yeah. I think that's a very fair point. I mean, also like, I don't think we're talking about Denver is, has taken over Phoenix or, or Utah or, uh, or golden state, especially like, I think it's, it's more, they can claim a top four. They can win maybe a playoff yeah. series. And, and that's about it. Like, I don't, I don't think they have, they have enough really good players because don't forget like PJ Dozier got hurt. Yep. Like I, I don't think they have enough really good players on that roster to be able to beat like Utah in a second round playoff series, even if, if Murray is back and, and playing really, really well, but, but they could be really good. I mean, they could be really good yeah. and they could win a playoff series. You guys remember Paul George when he, he broke his leg, different injury, obviously, but remember he came back to the Pacers and like, I think he played in the last like eight games of that season. And then I think, mm-hmm. that, did they make the first round? I can't remember. Um, but he just got some time in not. to get him. And then the next season he was an all-star again. And it was like, Ooh, you know, Paul George is back. Um, to me, if I'm Denver, like everything should be built towards next season. And that includes wanting to get Jamal Murray back in rhythm and get feeling good about the knee and maybe may, you know, maybe you win a, a first round series, but especially with the Michael Porter situation, who's like, you know, we all know how vitally important he is. Like that needs to get solved. I, to me, I'm just like every decision that I would be making from a Denver perspective would be like, how does this make sense for next season's run? Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone. Luckily with 24 seven us based live customer service from discover, Everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day, or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service that you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. 
As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. All right, gentlemen, we have waited long enough. Fred. Too long, Sam, too long. <laughs> I feel like I should, I should go WWE style in this corner. Fred Katz, maybe kick it, Maybe kick it to a commercial read to release at this stage. Yes, we we need to find a way to build the suspense. So Slater, have you ever been this excited for a Fred Katz rant perspective? Is it a rant? Is it a soliloquy? Is it a, you know, what is it's this? A, it's a, you know, Jerry Seinfeld has a thing where he doesn't want anybody to ever say before he goes on, he doesn't want anybody to ever introduce him as the greatest stand-up comic because he can only let down after that. <laughs> so, <laughs> so thanks for joining tampering today, folks. We're all done. I really appreciate <laughs> this. This is un- unquestionably going to be the biggest letdown ever. We, <laughs> we go over the topics that we want to talk about and, and I pushed hard to talk about tomorrow DeRozan. I, I, I think he's a worthwhile topic. And, uh, and my, my, my take is Hold on. Let me, let me, let me, let me frame it. If you don't mind real sure, quick. Sure. So I was reluctant to to talk bulls only because we just had the great Darnell Mayberry on a few weeks ago. in one of the, the weeks when you couldn't join us, Fred, and not that we can't, I mean, we talk warriors every week unofficially. So, you know, they, that shouldn't have been too big of a deal, but I, I pushed back a little bit. Like, ah, we've had a lot of bulls, you know, recently, but then you kept pushing on DeRozan and, and I, I was buying it. I was into it. Then I did hear, the basketball buds on yesterday's athletic NBA show talking about it and a pretty robust discussion relating to the MVP talks. So I'll just give the people the quick basics as far as DeMar goes, and then let you dive right in. Obviously, like we said, top of the East 24 and 10, they have a game against Orlando tonight. So that's going to probably go to 25 and 10. They're fifth in offense, uh, 12th in defensive rating, seventh in net rating overall DeMar though. And this is where, you know, I think he is being overlooked almost 27 points a game. You can get into some of the shooting splits, uh, Fred, that are pretty interesting, but 4.6 assists, 5.1 rebounds and, and a plus minus and a net net rating stuff that is, that is wild that, that I don't want to spoil everything. So um, that's kind of the, the little bit of the framing, but, but how do you see his, uh, his, his status as the best story of the season, which is what I think you called him. Yeah. I mean, he got, he got destroyed or I should say the Bulls got destroyed for that signing. And if you guys remember, we did a little off-season thing, and I tried to speak DeMar DeRozan into the Bulls into existence. I think at the <laughs> time, I wanted it to be a DeRozan for Laurie Markkinen double sign-in trade. Uh, and the deal ended up turning out a little different, and they got killed for giving up a first-round pick for him. Uh, and clearly, the Bulls were correct. Uh, and DeRozan... And proxy, you. Yes. Well, DeRozan is just... He's such had such a fascinating career because if you look at, I mean, you mentioned the plus minus stuff, which to me is the most interesting part of all of it, where, you know, leading up to this year, he had only been on one team that was better while he was on the floor. Like dude's been in the league for, this is his 13th season. And up to this season, his first 12 seasons, only the 2012 Raptors were better when he was on the floor. Every other team that he has played on, like that 59-win Raptors team, the 16 team that went to the conference finals, the Spurs teams, every other team that he has played on has been worse when he's been on the floor. And after 12 years, you just kind of say like, all right, well, there is a common denominator here, and it's DeMar DeRozan. 
And then this year, the Bulls are 17 points per 100 possessions better when DeMar DeRozan is playing. It's this unbelievably stark contrast. Uh, and, and you know, kind of the number one criticism in the analytic community, analytics community of DeRozan beyond the fact that he's not a voluminous three-point shooter is the fact that his teams are constantly worse when he's playing. And that just could not be more untrue this year. I mean, 17 points per 100 is a massive, massive difference. Uh, he's just, he's, I think he's a great basketball fit there. Dude, you left out, Sam. That by the time people listen to this, they will have played the Magic on Monday night. But the dude just hit buzzer beater game winners in back to back games and is the first top player in NBA history to do that. Naturally, the, three pointers. And and is the first player since 1985 to hit back to back game winners. The last guy to do that was uh, 1985. Larry Legend. Was exactly. 36 yep. years ago, Larry Bird did it. Uh, I mean, and not just game winners. We got to. It's been talked about a lot, but we got to give our, our our kind of flowers to the style of game winners that Demar went with, a a right knee up, like honestly, like Sam Amick pickup basketball style, you know. Is Sam Amick um, probably catch a guy in the groin with that knee? Get, is Sam Amick you know, about to compare his a jumper to Demar Rosen's smooth one legged? Because no, it, it like looks like a horse shot, like an un, for me it would look like an unintentional. Would you horse would you shot. have made the shot, Sam? No, Did you I reached the rim. That was like happy to draw right? rim. Yes. Um, they, I mean, he nails his three that if you didn't know any better, you think, you know, he just got confused on the play. I mean, the, the style selection shot wise was wild. Hits that three going to the right side, top of the key wins that game. And then, you know, who they play in the next one, Fred Washington, the wizards. Yeah. Your old team, you know, he left corner. And, you know, we all know that he is just the absolute master of the pump fake. You know, that's been part of the repertoire for a long time. But I think it was a double pump and, you know, jumping in between two defenders and and just falling out of bounds and finding the net on that one. I mean, two incredible game winners. Yeah. Speaking of the pump fake, you know, it's another interesting DeMar thing. We spent this whole season talking about the new foul rules and how it's affected all of these foul drawing perimeter players, right? Like how it's affected Trey Young. Trey Young's having a great season. His his fouls drawn on shooting fouls are way down. How it's affected James Harden, how it's affected Bradley Beal, all of these like foul drawing perimeter players who are like that. And DeMar DeRozan's free throw attempt rate is exactly at his career average right now. I mean, the guy is getting to the line eight times a game still. That that pump fake is like his fouls are real fouls. He right. was not goading guys into fouls. Right. Uh, his game is just real so fouls. refined at this, this point. This is real yeah. fast. Real man's foul. So you, <laughs> you want to know what I find interesting about this, like DeRozan season. Um, players love DeMar DeRozan, always have. Love his game. I remember Kevin Durant back in the day being like, he's got the best footwork. And, you know, Kevin Durant, who's like a mid-range maven, obviously, like loves the way DeMar DeRozan gets to his 17-footer and all that. And and there, like I feel like there was always pushback for years of like, you guys don't know how good DeMar DeRozan is. And the fact that there was was such criticism on the contract this summer and then what he has done i think has like you see a lot of online like commentary from players like ha you analytics guys whatever are wrong draymond green was like tweeting out like screenshots of like bleacher report and different uh, rankings of demar Derozan being labeled the you know worst contract of the summer and be like you know i'm not hearing y'all now basically and i just it, it this feels like the players believe it's a win for the players you know who else Definitely. it's open for? Um, Greg Popovich. Because when DeMar went to San Antonio and nobody outside of San Antonio really noticed, and, and if I'm being real, even national guys like myself, you know, largely ignored his entire Spurs tenure. Three years under Greg Popovich. And what you will now hear him talk about is the idea that he evolved in a pretty significant way. And, you know, this is something I've talked to his people about his agent, Aaron Goodwin, uh, Zach Lowe wrote about it this week for ESPN. And I thought it was good stuff as a playmaker. He evolved as a guy who, you know, who, who wasn't just out there getting his 20 a game and doing a whole lot more. He evolved. He had already done that in Toronto, but when you had Kyle Lowry running the show on the point, you could only do it to, to such a degree. You see it all coming to fruition now with Chicago what I find fascinating, uh, cause Fred, you broke down, you know, the, the net rating stuff and all those years 
where they were better with him off the floor. Uh, all of a sudden, ironically, Zach Levine is the one kind of living that life. And I almost feel bad for him because it's so hard to analyze this stuff and, and pull out the real meaning. You know, Zach is sitting here with basically the same, you know, stat line other than the obvious discrepancy in, in the way they shoot the three ball. Um, but the bulls have been better with Zach off the floor. He's, he, you know, he's checking that box that, that DeMar did for a long time, which I find pretty wild. Yeah, very. I mean, that, that being said, a lot of the bulls best lineups still have Zach Levine. So there are some, there are some bad lineups that are, that are just really bringing that down. down. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, For sure. Three with him on and, uh, yeah, That's but like you, you look at uh, you know, DeRozan, Vooch, Levine, and Ball together, very good net rating. DeRozan, Vooch, Levine, and and uh, and Green, same thing. No, that's DeRozan, all fair. Levine, Caruso, and Ball, all really good. You probably could have gone through Demar's career and pulled, you know, and, and made that same argument, right? That there. Were, oh yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, the thing is, one year net rating is like it, it's not an end all be all. It's just, it's, it's not, uh, it's just that when it happens for a dozen years, now all yeah, of a sudden yeah. that kind of stuff catches up to you. And, and, and look, I mean, part of the stuff with the Spurs, the Spurs had great benches. Like uh, Patty Mills was leading ridiculous bench units for the Spurs every year, which were just killing opposing reserves, which is part of why all of their starters had really bad on off numbers all of those years. Um, even Purtle, even Purtle, <laughs> even- Jakob. Actually, I think Pirtle was the one starter with the really good on offs because oh, he played with the go. bench there sometimes. I thought, so, so I think I think he would have been the That's one. That's the rant I want you going on. That's next week. Can we get a Jakob <laughs> Pirtle uh, rant next Jakob week? Jakob is having a good year. Oh, that those, sounds like a segment next week. And those pesky Spurs are climbing the Western Conference And nobody's right discussing it until Fred Katz next week. Damn straight. Damn straight. Someone's got to right, get well, on Well, we locked it in, Sam. That's his segment next week. <laughs> we have. Let me finish the DeRozan segment here, guys. Um, and then I got a quick uh, Stanley Johnson story to share on the back end. It's Lakers. You know, since he's in the news with the Lakers, it's it's good timing. With DeMar, uh, just to kind of pound the point home about his clutchness. He's tied with, as of Monday, he's tied with Giannis Antetokounmpo in fourth quarter scoring eight points uh, per fourth. Uh, got a true shooting in fourth quarters of 62.7, which is a few uh, figures up from his, you know, per game total. So really good stuff there. What are your, your guys quick thoughts on, I know it's kind of cliche. We go to it a lot, but the MVP race and, and what the basketball buds guys got into about, okay, fine. All these, all this praise for DeMar, where does he fit in this kind of, you know, Steph Curry, Kevin Durant, Giannis Antetokounmpo, Nikola Jokic, MVP race. Where does DeMar fall? DeMar fall? Can't even talk. Fifth of those five. Yeah. Yeah. Fifth, fifth, okay. or, Fred? fifth or first one off the ballot, probably for me. I mean, you're bumping on, on the, on the AMIC rankings. I had, I had Rudy Gobert fifth. You're bumping Mr. Gobert go, out of my fifth Gobert spot. is a is totally good pick. Gobert's been great. He's a totally good pick. I have no problem with that. Chris Paul, totally fine pick too. Fine with that. How about all NBA first team, mm. DeMar DeRozan? That is like, because that's where, you know, because if you're saying Jokic. I mean, based on the breakdown, that's where he would be. Yeah. yeah which, I mean, he's I definitely mean, all NBA. I don't think he's going to win MVP. I don't think he's going to win MVP, but man, an all NBA first team, which by the way, he'll probably have to hold off LeBron, um, who's having quite a season. Yes. Yeah, um, which I, I he probably won't, I would say, although who knows if the Lakers record stays where it is. Uh, I, but, you know, the fact that we're having this conversation, like that's a lot of growth from DeMar DeRozan to be in that All-NBA first team. I wonder discussion. if they're going to give him dual eligibility. Like, I wonder, I wonder if he'll be eligible at Garden Forward because they're very, very uh, loose. Yeah, they're very liberal, liberal with giving out yeah. Garden Forward now, and I, I wonder if uh, if he'll get that. Because it's it's possible they just kind of give it to anybody who could potentially get it. I mean, if I pull the old, you know, if the season ended today card, then for sure he's he's first team yeah. all in. He's also Sam. Just to add to the the clutch stuff uh, in clutch time, which is a game that is within five points with five or fewer minutes to go. Demar Derozan is averaging forty two points per thirty six minutes right now, which is second best in the NBA in clutch time behind Joel Embiid. Just. Just tremendous, pretty, tremendous pretty numbers. Tremendous, all yeah. Over. Great rap on that segment, Fred. 
Way to put a finer point on it. I like it. All right. So I'm sitting in the bubble one day, guys. And as you've heard me say before, it was an extremely unique experience that I will always mostly cherish with a few tough memories along the way. Um, but but as unique a reporting experience as I will ever have. And and probably about midway through the the bubble, uh, you know, life, I'm sitting Next to uh, try to paint the picture for you here. These all these hotels on the perimeter of the bubble. Obviously, the the Disney property. It's the Corn, uh, Coronado Resort, and there's a lake where we used to always kind of sit next to with our laptops, you know, and, and maybe have a glass of wine and write our stories and hang out. Well, I'm there late one night by myself, uh, getting some writing done uh, post game, and at the time, no other writers, just me. And I look across, you know, a couple tables. And I see Stanley Johnson. He's sitting there with, with a young lady just talking, you know, late at night. And he could not have been nicer. I didn't know Stanley at all. He looks up as I'm sitting there doing my thing. And on the back of my laptop, I have the, the old uh, company sticker. It says The Athletic on the back of the laptop. Stanley sees the sticker and strikes up a conversation that was just one of the best conversations I've ever had with a player about the media industry. He ends up sharing, you know, he says, hello, basically says, Hey, you know, I love what you guys do. And we get into this whole talk about the relationship between reporters and players. And he could not have been more respectful of what we do. He sat there, he even said things. And I think this is all fair game to share. It's, you know, it's all positive stuff. You know, he even said things like, Hey, listen, I know some of the bigger name guys, you know, might act like y'all are an annoyance, but like, you got to trust that like the players appreciate what you guys do, telling our stories, trying to help the fans understand what we do, you know, things of that nature. So cool conversation, maybe 15 minutes or so, something like that. And, uh, you know, say, have a good night and we're on our way. The part where, you know, a good story makes me look pretty damn bad, but I'm just going to own it is the, the bubble is now, you know, in, in the, the later stretches of the bubble and the Celtics have just beaten the Raptors in the playoffs at the time, Stanley's, on the Raptors, but he's not playing much. And I see this is after the game is over. I'm back in the same exact spot doing the same exact thing, writing my story. Um, you know, there's a more of a crowd players are coming by bottom line. I see Stanley walk by and I'm just trying to be friendly and say hello, since we'd become, you know, fast friends the other day and, and have the worst kind of brain fart when, because he hadn't been playing I drew a blank on what damn team he was on at the time. And I said, congrats. <laughs> <laughs> and my, my stomach dropped immediately and it was just, Oh Lord. And he shot me this look like what bro? Like, <laughs> and I, I don't even think I tried to save it. So bad moment for Sam, but you know, suffice it to say Stanley seemed like good people. And I've heard nothing but good things about him. As far as the Lakers go, five good games on this 10-day contract, this you know hardship contract that where they added him. And uh, Frank Vogel in real time, as we've been sitting here doing the pod, has just publicly said that Stanley Johnson has become a factor for them. You know, he's played big minutes, you know, helped them on the defensive end, you know, fitting in fairly well. They trade Rajon Rondo to uh, Cleveland and that deal that involved your next Fred, to, you know, mainly to clear the roster spot, seemingly to, to hold on to Stanley for the rest of the year. So it seems like that's going to get done. So, you know, just kudos to, to him for, you know, grinding and, and finding another spot here. It seems like. Once a top, once a, like a really high pick that, that was thought to have a lot, eighth overall actually to Detroit, that was thought to have a really bright future fizzled out, but you know, sometimes those guys come back around, they figure out their role, their games mature and, and, they find their way in. It's the always league. had defensive potential. At least this time, I can say congrats and get it right. I'm going to say congrats on your Lakers, you know, contract. Oh, we know if he's a Laker, we know <laughs> Sam Amick's going to know that at least. You know, this this big city, California, only cares about the if big he's, names. Yeah, who who's playing for that? If he's Toronto a Spur, team? I can remind you that he's playing with Jakob Bertel. <laughs> All right, guys, I'm going to let you go with that. I appreciate you, Fred. It was good to see you again. Thank you for uh, your DeRozan breakdown. You, you lived up to it, man. That was good. Stuff. I liked it. I tried hard. 
months later. Um, next time I see you, I'm going to probably see you on Sunday night when the one and only Clay Thompson is reportedly coming back. Thank you to Jade Hoy, who we haven't seen in a minute. Jade, this is Andrew Schleck territory, so it was very nice of you to, to help us out. Appreciate you, brother. Of course. All right, guys. Have a good one. So we rode, we drove up to this gas station. Brian and Tooth is home. Man come out. Brian said, fill him up. He looked. I don't sell no black gas, man. I said, good God. He didn't even have no black water. The only thing he had dark was Cokes, and he didn't sell them to us. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> <laughs> Let's get out of this town. It don't make sense. So, Brian starts up the car. we back on the road again. On the road again. On the road again. Save your tears for me, mama. Save your tears for me, mama. Hollow that New York man, 1944 